Jesus Christ. He has told us that we have a job to do. He told us that we have a job to do while he was here. He told us that we have a job to do before he left. He told us we have a job to do after he left. He has even sent to us his own spirit so that in being indwelt we would be empowered so that we would do the job that was given to us. Now, to be sure, we are not saved by the job that we do, but we are saved so that we will do the job that we have to do. In case that sounds overly simplistic, I'm quite ready and capable to complicate that to no end. But let's make a deal right now. What we'll do is we will go to Scripture and we will look and we will see uh, some examples and see some verses that indicate that if we are covenant members, that we, after having been brought into the covenant, are given a wonderful, wonderful opportunity, not only to call Jesus Lord with our lips, but also to live Christ's Lordship by actually letting the walk of our life be obedience to his call. Now, God's a merciful God, and he will, of course, forgive sins. It's true. We're not looking for anything like perfection. Were that the case, we would still be in exceptional trouble. We leave the perfection business up to God himself, and we simply, in relationship to him, by what it is that Jesus has done, take the gift and are thereby saved. By grace, through faith, we are saved. Embracing the gift, we don't get so enamored with the gift that we forget about the giver of the good gift. We believe in obedience. We don't believe that obedience will make you be saved. We don't believe that obedience will put God in the predicament of being forced to save us because we've somehow earned or that we deserve something. We, being lavished upon by the grace of God, we see what it is that God has done. We see that he has loved us. We see the way that he has loved us by giving us his son. We see the lengths to which Christ went to love us to the uttermost. And we respond to that love by believing him, relying on him. We see the generosity and the grace and we don't 
invalidate the grace. We don't insult the gift by trying to add to it. We simply believe God. We trust Him. We rely on Him. We accept the gift that is given. We become members of the covenant not through anything that we do. By way of analogy, how silly would it be? And this seems to be the modern paradigm. But how silly would it be for me to find a woman and shack up with her for a while and then give that a try and see if she pleases me and see if she doesn't do all the things that I require of her and then if she comes in pretty close, she pleases me, she does what I ask of her, she does what I tell her to do, she doesn't uh, do, she doesn't go against me. Uh, and after she has set a record for herself uh, for the length of her lifetime, I then say, well, you have proven yourself and now... I will marry you. No, no, in some sense, uh, and I know this will get me in trouble talking this way about a sovereign God, but in some sense, God sort of take a risks, uh, takes a risk, pardon me, on us and says, I'm going to bring you into a covenant, making a vow to you, you will be the bride of Christ, and Christ will be your Lord, and this is how it will be, and the covenant is laid out, and the covenant is made, the covenant is accepted, and from there, then, goes the relationship forward. First you get married, then you spend the remainder of your life, and I know that's an argument from analogy, but I can show you several things from Scripture that make the analogy valid. There will be those who try to dismantle the analogy, but please, take the point. We are made members of the covenant before we have to prove ourselves. The Lord calls to us through His Spirit. The Lord woos us. The Lord demonstrates His worthiness. We agree to His worthiness. We repent, that is to say, we turn from any other claimants for our worship or our devotion. We turn from those things to Him and we commit ourselves to Him. He then gives us himself, and we are now his. We belong to him. And whether you want to hang on to that as being the betrothal, and during this period of affiancement, uh, we are just awaiting the day when, after our death, uh, there's the consummation, Christ's return, so forth, uh, fine. But understand that you are engaged not because you are... And, and the engagement doesn't look like shacking up either. 
the engagement is there as a promise. The engagement is there as a covenant. And faithfulness is required not because we have consummated the wedding, but because of the covenant. And therein lies the point. So dismantle the analogy if one must, but please hear the message of what it is that I'm saying. We are saved by grace, repenting from other claimants for our devotion. We turn to him. We are converted. We believe him. We trust him. We rely on him. We take him as our owner, our master, our king, our Lord. In return, the covenant is taken hold of. He gives us himself. We become members of the family. And after we are brought into the covenant, we recognize, we see, there are jobs for us to do. And we do not do those jobs because we have earned a place. We do not do those jobs in order to earn a place. We are gifted with a place and out of appreciation by way of the prompting of the Spirit of God who indwells the believer. We find ourselves motivated out of love for God in this relationship that we now have with Him, out of appreciation and adulation because we want to bring renown to His name. We want to give credit, glory in that sense to Him. Now, again, this is another issue altogether. We don't actually give glory to God. The glory is already His. And for that matter, He intends to share that glory with us. That's what we're actually told, that He intends to share the glory with us. But in the sense that we want to bring acclaim and renown to His good name, we want to stand for Him and represent Him well. And that's going to include some attempt at worthy living, and it is also going to be accepting the job that He has given us to do, and doing it, being obedient to the course that He has set before us. This, this is well-placed faith. It's an hour-long radio program about life, liberty, and the pursuit of Jesus Christ. We have a website, wellplacedfaith.org, where you can find these messages that have been recorded for years now. Uh, and we have them uploaded. You can listen to these messages at your leisure. And beyond that, we will be putting other things up on the website for you uh, to enjoy, uh, learn from, prosper from, grow by. But feel free to check out wellplacedfaith.org and uh, listen to a past radio program. We have several of them. We're going to be uploading more as we go along. We have several of them uh, on the website. Feel free to listen to past um, radio programs and uh, 
enjoy those and, and feel free to comment and ask questions, that sort of thing. We appreciate your uh, time and effort, and as always, everything that we do here at Well-Placed Faith is free to you. It's not free. Anybody who's ever done anything knows that nothing is free, but it is free to you, the end user. There are others who are picking up the expense. There are others who are picking up the costs. Uh, and I myself, this is something that's voluntary. We do this for free to get this information to you, to urge you to come to know Jesus as Lord and as Savior. If you already have surrendered to Jesus as Lord, as Savior, then from there we urge you to grow in the Lord, to be sanctified, to take hold of obedience, to be evangelists, to share the message, to pour out what is being poured in. Because Christ has given to you. Because Christ has loved you. Because Christ is your master. And now, I want to take a look at a visitation that is made by the risen Jesus Christ. We've been talking for some while now about Jesus' cross, ever since the Good Friday uh, area on the calendar, uh, Jesus' burial, his resurrection, after his resurrection, we've been talking about the appearances of Jesus Christ. Showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. He demonstrated that he had defeated sin and death and all of the claimants, the idols, uh, to any devotion. Now having defeated the idols, having defeated sin, guilt, death, having defeated all of this, Jesus shows himself alive to his disciples. And on the 40th day, Jesus ascends to the throne. Ascending to the throne of heaven, he's in a special place. He is in heaven with all authority given to him. Authority in heaven and authority on earth. All authority has been given to him. It is his place to rule as that sovereign Lord, yes, but as that chosen, <coughs> obedient Jew that was promised from so long back, this is Jesus, and he rules and he reigns. And there is no doubt in my mind that there is no way to get a broader body of Gentiles to be surrendered to and follow the lordship of a Jewish Messiah greater than, other than, certainly different. There are going to be some Jews that are going to arrive and arise and show themselves and may even garner a following for themselves, even from among the Gentiles. But Jesus has overtaken the world. Jesus rules and reigns on every continent. I believe that to be the case, even over uh, southerly and northerly poles, both. And I'm aware of the continents. So, Jesus, while he was alive, he told the disciples, 
Now, let's not just get the idea that this is, you know, Matthew and John and James and Andrew and Peter and those guys. Disciples, those who were his followers, those who would come up under his discipline. He told them while he was alive before he had died to go out and to share the good news that Jesus is the Lord, that he is the Christ, that he is the master. Then after his death, he arose and that was the news that he wanted them to share still. Go out and tell people that Jesus is the Lord, the King, the master. His deity, his death, his resurrection, the product, the covenant of the cross, and that he is the Lord, the master, the king, that Christ, the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. Well, after having risen from the dead and sending the disciples forth with this message, Jesus tells them again before he ascends that he wants them to go out into the world to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them to be obedient, to go out into the uh, not only Jerusalem and Judea, not only Samaria, but the, utter, uh, the outermost parts of the world, to go and to tell this message. Then he ascended. He went to his place on the throne of heaven where he rules. He rules. Jesus is the Messiah. He does rule. He is reigning currently, make no mistake. And he still accepts the worship of his disciples. He still expects the obedience of his disciples as worship. And the commission remains the same. That we're to go forth and that we are to tell people about Jesus. Now, Firstly, let me say, what kind of a Lord is not worth talking about? Don't you be bullied? Don't you be kowtowed into the position where, uh, oh, we have to be super tolerant. We have sinned in our tolerance. Don't you be bullied or kowtowed into, you have to be uh, a world citizen and you can't talk about, your, you know, the world's going to talk about it. Um we should be out there giving the, the truth and we should have boldness to proclaim and we should be quite pleased to obey our master and not so pleased to be pushed around by the world. And we should rebel against the world because the world is not the boss of me. So I rebel against the world. The world can try to tell me to be quiet the world can try to tell me to not obey Jesus, but it is Jesus who loved me. It is Jesus whom I follow. It is Jesus that I will obey. And I'm going to maybe even get a little rowdy about that. So Jesus is the Lord and the Master, and he is the Christ and the Messiah, and that's the shape of it. And he tells us more than once, several times, what it is that he wants of us and from us. And a lot of this people are majoring on, uh, and, and, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Love your neighbor? That's great. Uh, you know, give food? That's wonderful. Clothing? Great. Be generous? That's great, too. 
but I'm afraid that we've got a little cart before the horse syndrome. Those are all wonderful things, and it is all obedience, and so we must do these things. We ought to do these things. The onus is on us. And I don't want to take one commandment and put it in one race car, and another commandment and put it in another race car, and see, you know, race them, and then see which one takes the other one. That is not at all what I'm suggesting. But does it make any sense to anybody that we would reach out to the world and that we would give them beans and bread and let them go to hell? Well, I was trying to be obedient. I fed people. Well, good. Have you tried giving them Jesus? I was trying to be obedient to the Lord. I was trying to give people shoes and shirts, and I was trying to give people, uh, you know, sunglasses, and I was trying to have carnivals and feed them hot dogs. Okay, oh, all right. I mean, if that's how you're fine, that's your deal, good. That's good. That's fine. That's good. Have you tried actually talking to people, having conversations with them, bringing them to the point of a decision? You there. Make a decision about Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. Are you going to surrender to him? Are you going to submit? Are you going to bow the knee? Are you going to accept his lordship? Or will you find yourself in rebellion at his return? I hope that you neither go to the grave nor meet him at his return uh, with rebellion. But rather you are, even if you're awful at it, that you are a surrendered covenant member. That you recognize his lordship and you're surrendered to it. Again, even if you're awful at it. So, uh, we want to urge you here, a well-placed faith, to reach out to people and tell them about Jesus. Involve Jesus in your ministry. Involve the Holy Spirit in what you're doing. Again, as Christians, we believe in obedience. We believe in good works. We don't think that good works get you saved. We don't think that good works are unto salvation. We don't think that good works are anything less than good works. But we also don't think they're anything more than good works. So do good things. Outstanding do them. It is obedience to the Lord. But make proclamation. Name the name of Jesus. Tell people that he is Lord. Let them have an opportunity to surrender to him. There are lots of people who desire to surrender to Jesus. They just don't know it yet. Will you please let them know? They need that information in order to make a wise decision of surrender to Jesus. Be that messenger that helps them with it. In love, in grace, in kindness. Bring them the gospel. If you have trouble with this, call on us here at Well-Placed Faith. Whether it is that you need a pulpit filled at your church, or whether it is that you need a one-day harvest message, or whether it is a revival that you need preached, or even that you need training in evangelism, training in the doctrines that have come up through history. These are the 
orthodox doctrine that is not a denomination of orthodox, Greek orthodox, Russian orthodox, any of those things. The word orthodox just simply means right teaching. And it is that right teaching that's going to bring about not only the orthodoxy, but the orthopraxy, the right work, the right practice, the right doings. So this Jesus who died for us, who rose for our justification, who ascended to heaven, who has sent the Holy Spirit, who has made the way through the covenant, this Jesus has also given us the kind of commandment that he expects to be obeyed. <laughs> Which any commandment given by the Lord, by the Master, he expects to be obeyed. <laughs> okay? But I am speaking uh, particularly about Jesus letting us know you have a job to do in carrying the word out. That one in particular. So after Jesus had been resurrected, and after he had shown himself alive, and after he had ascended, and after he had taken his place on the throne, and even after he had sent the Holy Spirit, after those things, by seven, eight, nine chapters, we go to Acts chapter 9, and we find a guy named Saul, whose name comes to be known as Paul. But in chapter 1, we have the ascension. In chapter 2, we have the giving of the Holy Spirit. From there, the covenant is opened wide, and we see it opened wide. And we have the Jews from all over who are receptive and receiving while in Jerusalem. And those Jews are going to wind up going out into the world, and they are going to make proclamation. One of the Jews who does not abide right away uh, by the message and the faith and the covenant is a Jew named Saul. It is actually after chapter 2, after chapter 3, after chapter 4, 5, 6, even after chapter 7 and 8. We come into chapter 9 of the book of Acts, and Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Threats and murder, okay, against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, Christianity, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. 
and leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there uh, three days without sight, and he neither ate nor did he drink. You know, there was a disciple there at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to Ananias, Get up and go to Straight Street, or the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Saul is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he, Saul, might regain his sight. This, by the way, this was the final linchpin in belief and conversion uh, for Saul, was this man Ananias's obedience. It was the final linchpin for him. But Ananias, he answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed, and he then entered the house, and after laying hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, he has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and then he went and was baptized. He, we were told that you were going to regain your sight and then be filled with the Holy Spirit. First the Holy Spirit, then be baptized. So immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and then... He regained his sight, and because he had received the Holy Spirit, because he was a part of the covenant, he then makes this public declaration through this act of baptism. And he took food, and he was strengthened. Now you'll notice there's no tongues, there's no big hoopla, just quietly receives the Holy Spirit and then begins to obey his new master, Jesus Christ. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. Right? So that may be a quote. Yes, he began to say, quote, he is the Son of God, but he said a lot of other things around that point. 
to make that point as well. So, hear this. Jesus, after he had ascended, after Jesus had ascended and taken his place on the throne, he appears. Now, I know that there is this term kicked around, the second coming. Uh, Jesus shows up every now and again, right? So, by the time the second coming happens, it's like his, I don't know, his 32nd coming? His 36th coming? I don't know. I can't keep count. Jesus shows up. Okay, Jesus shows up. He showed up with Paul. So this second coming, I don't know that we should call it second coming. We can call it his coming. We can call it the parousia. That's fine. Parousia, nice word. Advent, parousia. Advent, we usually use that word, meaning uh, the, the incarnation and Christmas, uh, whereas we use the parousia for what has been termed the second coming. Whatever you want to call it, uh, Jesus is expected to return again in the future in a complete and full and consummate kind of a way. And for this, we hope. That's where our hope rests. One of the places, one of the things in which our hope rests. But between Advent and Parousia, Jesus actually shows up every now and again. This is an instance of this. It's not the only time, but this is an instance of this. And what is it that is being given to Saul? It is an opportunity to, after you have been forgiven, after you have repented of your sins, after you have right turned from the old way, turning to the new way, intentionally, intelligently doing this. What I don't mean is quit your own personal private sins. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't. You have to have the Holy Spirit to do that because otherwise all you'll do is just change your sins. You'll shift your sins. It is only by receiving the Holy Spirit that you can actually do away with your sins. It is only through the covenant that those, that those sins can actually be done away with and dealt with. So, what we're asking people to do, uh, what is the command of God? Well, like Saul, you have a little time there where you do some considering and you then receive Jesus as Lord. And in receiving Jesus as Lord, in this instance, uh, and you're going to have a hard time making two instances turn out the same way. Uh, in this instance, <clears throat> there's a guy, shows up, and he is able to tell Saul what it is that he has seen and experienced. And he then lays hands on Saul. And he then speaks over Saul and he gets the Holy Spirit. And there's not a whole lot of fanfare. Uh, but after receiving the Holy Spirit, he then goes and gets baptized. And away he goes into ministry. And you are given the opportunity to... By the risen Jesus, by the ascended Jesus, by the Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth, by the Jesus who is master over you, whether you surrender to it or not, he is the Lord, he is the master. This Jesus gives to us, I'm using Paul as an example, something paradigmatic, 
it gives us the opportunity to turn from what we are doing, turn to Him, and to, after you find out what it is that you are to be doing, you go do it. You go do the work of an evangelist, fine, of a Christian. That's more like it. It is not as though evangelists are the only ones who are supposed to be sharing the word of God. You do not wait for the gift of evangelism in order to be able to name the name of Jesus and call him master and invite others into the covenant. According to the book of Ephesians, that's not how it works at all. The gift of the evangelist is that you are given the gift of teaching the members of the church to go do evangelism. It is not the evangelist's job to do all the evangelism? No, it is not. According to Ephesians, it is the position of believers, the church. It is their job to tell everyone about Jesus, to evangelize forthrightly, make the proclamation. The evangelist is there as a support for those giving the good news, the message of Jesus Christ, the evangel. Paul goes and he, under some pretty crazy circumstances, goes out and declares Jesus as the Son of God, affirming his deity, affirming his lordship, affirming that he is the Messiah. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those? who called on his on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests but Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ that Jesus is the Messiah that Jesus is the king that Jesus is the master, that Jesus is the long-awaited Lord. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. Now, do you hear that? Paul's in the position where, in such a short time, he has gone from being the darling of the upper echelon of the Jews, because he is following the ancestral traditions more devotedly, and in such a short while, his own people turn against him. You're being invited to join into that covenant. Maybe you have to suffer as a Christian. It is not as though God is like some corporate head of a business, and the business where he's got his angels that go and they, they make sure... Everybody's just having a good time. Everybody's just got their socks blessed off, and God's the, you know, sort of the big wheel of this corporation, you know, Blessings Inc., and he's sending out his angels to just pour out sparkles and rainbows and blessings, and by golly, it's, it's, it's such good, clean fun following Jesus. No, you're being invited into 
is actually a covenant where Jesus described it as pick up your cross and bear it daily. It is like being tortured to death. Now that doesn't sound very appealing, does it? Matt, you're not selling me very well. You're not trying to close the deal very well. No, Jesus is Lord. That's it. End of list. Jesus is the Lord. That's, that's the only truth that there is to be held. Jesus is the master. He's the Messiah. He's the king. Okay, now what? There's reality. And now it's for us actually to adapt to reality. We don't just get to pretend real hard and alter reality. Jesus is calling to you through his Holy Spirit. Will you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus or will you be in rebellion to the Lordship of Jesus? In one case, the world's going to be mad at you if you follow Jesus. In the other case, you're actually setting yourself up to be the enemy of God. And when judgment comes, you're really not going to enjoy the decisions that you made. Your temporary, momentary, light, fun time is going to be over. Meanwhile, the mature Christian understands the momentary light afflictions are but for a short and temporal, ephemeral bit. And after that, eternity which goes on for a very long time. Recognizing that Jesus is, in fact, the real, true King, Master, Lord, that's important, recognizing it. But the devil does that. The devil knows that Jesus is Lord. So the invitation goes this way. Will you surrender? Will you bow the knee to Jesus as Master and as King? Yes, have your sins forgiven. Yes, be brought into the covenant. Yes, be made family. Have the love of God poured out on you and lavished upon you. Yes, receive the Holy Spirit. Have that relationship. God indwelling you, being with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will care about you and care for you. But you will set yourself at odds with the devil, with the world, and with your own flesh, if you are truly following Jesus and intend to have him be Lord. Now here we have, Jesus has made it clear to him. The Holy Spirit has made it clear to him. Paul, your business is to go out and tell people that Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the Lord, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the long-awaited king. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is Jesus, and we are to surrender to him. We are to uh, stop being in rebellion to him and accept the free gifts that he gives us. Have our treasons forgiven us and be brought into the covenant because you belong in the service of the king. There's no higher calling. You belong in the service of the one true Lord. God is calling to you. He wants you to come and join in with him. Once you have come into the covenant, having received the Holy Spirit, being made the child of God, the opportunity is yours. The onus is upon you through the Holy Spirit, through the strengthening of the Holy Spirit, of course, but to provide a stream of yes, Lord, yes, Lord, 
yes, Lord, yes, Lord. A continual flow of your heart and its obedience to God. Your mind being renewed through faith, being obedient to the Lord. In order to grow, you must change. I heard a preacher tell us this, this last weekend, and I thought that that was apropos. It was an appropriate point. We have to change. If you continue just being who you are, doing what you do, and away you go, and you're just living your Christmas, Christian life, pardon me, your Christmas life, maybe it's that, uh, you're just living your Christian life the same as you were yesterday, the same as you were a year ago, the same as you were two years ago, the same as you were when you were eight years old and you walked the aisle and you received Christ and you got baptized and you haven't really done much of anything since then, maybe warm a pew every now and again. I'm not trying to, like, tear you down. I'm trying to help you to gain perspective on this. Today, now, I call you to action. Obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Take some risks. Demonstrate some courage. Love enough. Love God enough that you'll stand for Him, that you'll be named by His name. Love people enough that you'll tell them the truth, that you will give them what they need. The truth that Jesus is the King. But people might not like me very much. You know, people probably don't like you that much anyway. Really? Because people are fickle. But if it really does come down to that, it is better to follow the Lord than to follow man. And I'm not asking you to hate anybody or to set yourself against anybody, whether Muslim or Mormon, or Jehovah's Witness, or Jewish, or Buddhist, or Hindu, or Baha'i, or atheist, or skeptic, or what have you. Love these people. Recognize that they are POWs. They're prisoners of war, caught up by the enemy, and they need to be rescued. Will you have a heart for the POWs? Will you go in after them to give them the message of rescue? Will you face the hail of bullets? Will you face the, the traps and the snares? Will you face the disapproval? Will you face the persecutions that might come from it? the loss of your own wealth, the loss of your own property. And maybe your knees aren't any good. And you can't just go be running around and jumping all over town, getting people saved. Okay. All right. Whatever the excuse is, and that's not a dirty word, excuse. Uh, if you are, in fact, excused uh, from going and, and doing, then can you support missionaries. You know, we're actually in the place now in the modern U.S. where other countries are sending Christian missionaries to us. Other countries are sending Christian missionaries to us 
Can we police our own fields? Can we join in with their efforts? Can we support them? Support local missionaries? Support the pastors that are actually preaching the gospel? I know a lot, a lot. I'm friends with a lot of pastors who are pastors of small churches who are giving the word faithfully. And they are getting by on nickels and dimes. Meanwhile, I see that there are people who are ready for their mail-in blessing, and they are sending in hundreds of dollars in order to ensure that they get that mail-in blessing. Will you do Jesus the kindness of following him and supporting those who are actually on the field, boots on the ground, doing the work of evangelism, taking the message of rescue, and stop, stop trying to have your best life now. That's, that's a bad idea. That literally means you're going to hell. And I don't want that for you, and I don't want it for the people that you ought to have been ministering to, if you have your best life now. It is not about being on the take right now. It is about offering the advantage to others. Offer the advantage to Christians. Offer the advantage to those in the brotherhood, those in the covenant. Let the world see that we love one another, that we give to one another, that we share from our resources one with another because we are a family. We're in covenant one with another. And then, please do also share your resources with those Christians who are taking the message out, taking the message to faraway lands, taking the message to those nearby. I had a friend, he has now passed away, the great-grandson of Sitting Bull, Sibby LeBeau, and Sibby, he told me that it bothered him when missionaries were going to foreign lands. Not because it's bad, not because it's wrong, but being a Native American who had come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Sibby said, every time you fly to a mission field, you fly over a mission field. He is exactly right. As I said, he's now passed away, but those words, I hope they prompt you. I hope that you think about it. You live in a mission field. You are, whether you accept it or not, you are a missionary in a mission field. You have been commissioned by the Lord, the Messiah, the King. You know that one, the one that died for us. I don't say that to be coy. In fact, I'm trying a little bit to be playful with this because I know it's a very heavy and a, a severe message. But Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of whatever it is that we can give, whatever it is that we can offer. Now, in case you think that this, this is not code language for um, uh, fundraising or something like that for well-placed faith. No, that, that's not the case. Uh, I'm volunteering. I'm doing the work that I'm doing for free. Uh, we here on this side are doing it to 
our debt, to our deficit. There is a blessing for us because we know that we are obedient and we are pouring ourselves out in accordance with Jesus' command. But Jesus, when he was on the earth in his ministry, told us, I, and I'm familiar with the book of Mark and where he had the messianic secret. I'm very familiar with that. Moving on from there, he told us while we were, uh, while he was uh, here in his ministry to go and to share the message that he is the Messiah, to pr- announce the gospel. In his death, in his burial, And especially, particularly, in his resurrection, to go and to make the announcement in his visitations, several times saying what our business was, to go and to share that gospel, that message, that Jesus is Lord. And after he had ascended, being the Lord of the throne of heaven, being the Lord with all authority on earth, he has given to us this place in the covenant, this opportunity to be workers for the kingdom, to give, to pour in, because we have been poured into. We have received the Holy Spirit not in vain. We have received the commandments not in vain. We have received the commissioning not in vain. The love has been poured into us not in vain. We are to pour that love and that diligence outwards onto others. I'm calling on you to be intentional and supportive and prayerful and cover those who are going out into the mission field. Again, if you're simply incapable and if you are listening and you've not yet received Jesus as Lord, the opportunity is here for you to join into a covenant of forgiveness and mercy. Yes, but be aware when you are saved, when you have the Holy Spirit, you will be called into hard things. Jesus' yoke is easy. His burden is light. He takes the burden for you. He takes your sin. He takes your punishment. But if you follow this God of love, the world will hate you. They will take what you have to give them if you give them food, if you give them clothing, if you give them money. Use that as an opportunity to give them the gospel because many of them will not receive the gospel and they will spurn you. This is what you're being called to. God has a wonderful plan for your life, just like he had for Stephen. And if you don't know that story, go to Acts chapter 7. Be a part of the covenant. Show the world that Jesus is Lord. It's the reality. Now you're called to live in accordance with that reality. Blessed are you if you believe and you follow. This is well-placed faith.